For the system to work, you need those relationships of administrators to representatives to the favoured groups operating seamlessly and not having any conflict, not having any any opposition. And, and I mean, this is one reason why you, I, I think, think you see relatively little conflict between, say, Islamists and LGBT plus activists and feminists, because they're, they're both part of the same political system. They both depend on it. They both depend on these relationships. Even if philosophically, ideologically for themselves, they're completely opposed. Welcome to the New Flesh podcast, the podcast you deserve. My name is Ricky Allpike. A couple of weeks ago, John and I interviewed UK writer and journalist Ben Cobley about his recent book, The Tribe, The Liberal Left and the System of Diversity. We began the interview by asking Ben about the recent downfall of UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Ben Cobley is a writer and journalist. His writing has appeared in The Spectator, Unheard, The Critic, Quillette, and The New Statesman. He writes a substack on politics and culture called Existential Politics. He's the author of The Tribe, The Liberal Left, and The System of Diversity, which he's here to talk to us about, along with a bit of a teaser, hopefully, of his upcoming book, The Progress Factory, The Modern Left, and The False Authority of History. Ben, welcome to The New Flesh. No, thanks very much. Good to be here. Now, uh, we should probably start with the big uh, political changes in the UK. Uh, what's your reaction to Boris Johnson's resignation? Um, I think it was, it was predictable. I mean, there have been so many, um, obviously you must have heard all the scandals coming out. And I mean, there was clearly a very um, aggressive or well, series of campaigns from different sources to unseat him. So I think that is an aspect of it, but I think I mean he was he was so casual with the way he um, he approached politics and his personal life and everything that I think it was it was going to happen sooner or later. And I mean I have no no big regret, regrets about it. Um, and I think uh, I think he he should just accept it. Really, um, what's going to happen next? I mean it's 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 potentially quite interesting. I think some of the candidates, but. I'm guessing they'll, they'll, the Conservative Party, being a Conservative Party, being an, an establishment party traditionally, will go for a sort of establishment figure. But I'm hoping maybe they won't. Well, well, we, we won't spend too much time on it because we've, we've got uh, uh, a bigger canvas to, 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 uh, to talk about. But just another, another couple. Do you think this will give Labor a... A, a sort of a default win because this happened in Australia recently. We we sort of we voted in Labor out of exhaustion with the with the Conservative Party, and in fact, Labor only got one third of the vote. But they're now in power, and the, and the general consensus seemed to have been, oh well, just you know, sort of had enough. You know, it's time to move on. Do you think this will something similar will happen? Well, well, the Labor Party's. I mean, it's it's what I wrote about really in, in my first book. I mean, where the first book came from was myself actually joining the Labour Party. I mean, I'm from the left. And I joined them in 2010. And immediately, I, c I could see what was kind of going on and how strong identity politics was. And I think it, it's really sort of struck home with the electorate how, how strong this is. I mean, it takes time, it takes years, even decades, I think, for people to properly process what's going on in political institutions. I think, I think that's generally happen with the Labour Party now. And I think they're on the edge of being unelectable. Um, that is, as a majority government, I think, I mean, they could squeeze through as a minority government. They, they could get through as a majority one, I think. But, but it's very difficult for them now, I think. They're, 
if you like, their brand is genuinely toxic. And I, I mean, one of the themes of my first book, The Tribe, was that they can't change. You know, they're committed. They're, it, it's who they are now, is this, this very aggressive, progressive identity politics of gender, race, ethnicity on immigration, um, to an extent religion as well. Um, and these are the political commitments they've made, but they're also um, philosophical and I think very importantly also institutional. You know, we, we find it with a lot of our institutions now, they've embedded rules into their, into their structures which commit them to a certain type of politics and, you know, basically preference based on these identity characteristics. And Labour was really the one, well, just about the first in this country to do that. And they've gone so far. I mean, I, I saw this when I was in the Labour Party. Um, they, you know, you have rules on um, uh, women's representation down to the most micro level of political organisation where there's only literally four people turning up in a room. If that, you have to have equal representation, as they call it. And, and I was shocked to read this in your book. You said that there were there are times when, you know, the Labour Party has to have an, an all-women ticket or an all-women panel, and, and at times, sometimes they're scrounging for, for a representative to sort of come in. Well, it's, it's, it's not, I mean, it's not all-women panels. It's um, they're against all-male panels. Oh, okay. And, and they're, right. they're called in the, in the jargon manals. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you get this you get this from everyone now. I mean, I saw it, I remember, maybe six months, a year ago, from the Financial Times. They had commit. I think they had committed to never having a manual. So right. they always, whenever they hold an event, they've got to find a woman from somewhere. But Ben, what I like about this is that it's so, it's, it's, it, I went with the positive thing. It's like, oh well, we want more women. It's got to be all women. But the, I love that, that it's a it's a panel or a, or a setting based on negativity on what it, on what you don't want. It's like, well, we can't have all men. That's that's not on. You know, anyone's anything anything is good except all men. Yeah, completely. I mean, in a way, I mean, I'm with you. It's kind of quite sweet, isn't it? It's kind of quite a nice thing. You know, oh, we you know we'd like to have a woman on, and I'm I'm, I'm kind of completely with that to an extent, but the but the way they've embedded it into organisation and into um, political commitment, you know, this is the FT as well as Labour Party, everything else. It's really quite extraordinary and, you know, absolutist, I think. Your book is unique in that you seem to be attempting to move beyond the first order conflicts that dominate the popular consciousness. Do you think that people are wasting too much time on, on, on the sideshow? For example, like owning the libs or, or petty scandals or, you know, who's black, who's gay or whatever. Like, were you trying to elevate the conversation past all of this nonsense? Kind of, yes. But, I mean, that's quite, um, that's quite elevated language, isn't it? And kind of self-conception. But I, I did, I did want to go beyond that. And I wanted to, I mean, quite arrogantly in a way, just try and understand what was going on, you know. And, and like you say, I mean, daily there's there's different examples of mad stuff going on, and everyone goes out and goes, "Oh, it's mad." And then, and then the mad people come back and go, "No, you're terrible and racist." And and then you have a whole conflict that goes on for ages, and everyone's occupied and quite entertained. That's basically social media, right? R right there. Well, largely social media, but it does go through the mainstream media as well yeah, now, of course. For sure. um, and yeah, there is a kind of, after you've been through a few of these, 
you know, you do sort of start to recognise the futility of it, and and actually that it would be nice to take an overview and try and understand it. And I, I mean, I'd been, I basically joined the Labour Party 2010, and then I started recognising some stuff that was going on. Thought it was interesting. 2011, I started writing actually for Labour Party blogs. You know, they they were kind of like semi-affiliated to the party blogs. Um, and I started exploring a lot of these issues, you know, for them. And I was allowed to write for quite a while. But eventually, you know, the um, the hand on the shoulder happened and, you know, I was basically excluded from writing. So I started doing my own thing. And I, I kind of fell into a, writing a book, you know, of, of just trying to bring the different aspects together um, together with and forgive me for going on about philosophy but reading quite a lot of philosophy as well and and starting to understand how group group formation is crucial to all of this and i mean the the book is called the tribe um it's about how how we all find togetherness through joining in one of these gangs you know and the liberal left i think is it's it's a very wide gang i mean i'd say it, it it's kind of an over an overviewing gang um, that kind of encapsulates everything from the far left, even into, you know, sort of liberal conservatives. One thing, actually, I, I, just as a, a diversion, I wanted to ask you guys about, because, I mean, you're asking, I mean, I'm coming from a British perspective primarily, and I'd quite like to know from you guys the comparison between here or what you hear about in Britain and America and Australia. Um, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of similarities. Um but yeah, no, um, f- forgive me for asking you a question. If you don't want to answer it, don't worry. Um, no, I think, well, well, I, well what was, what's so great about your book is that, uh, you know, we, we, I read it and it, it accords with, with what's going on here and everywhere in the, in the Anglosphere. Like uh, I can, I can uh, cite examples of, you know, there are, there are, just the way you get into the specifics, I really want our audience to understand your system of diversity, the way you talk about it. But if you run through that, uh, I've seen that in practice. You see that at our national broadcaster. You see that if you go for a grant. You see that like it's all the same problems. Uh, generally speaking, it's just a matter of degrees. Like Australia uh, is, we usually just get it a little bit later. So I guess it might be America first. That's ground zero. Then you guys, and then a few years later, we go, oh, you know what? You know what's really bad? White supremacy. Like, you know, so we sort mm-hmm. of are a bit bit down the track. Yeah. But, but we also so, sort of retrofit things as well, like, like BLM came through Australia, you know, when George Floyd happened, and we sort of bolted on Indigenous deaths in custody. We sort of lumped that in with George Floyd, and, you know, we sort of... Panel beaded it into yeah, shape. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, this sort of works. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's remarkable the way it happens. You mentioned the phrase the Anglosphere, which which I think is, is quite significant, the way that the same stuff is happening in the same way in our different countries. There are, you know, subtle differences of perspective and whatever, but it's generally the same thing just reproduced everywhere. And it's one thing actually with, with the first book and what I'm looking to do with the second book as well is not just go through the different sectors or places where it's happening and discuss what's going on, say, in the media, then you can go into education, um, political parties, um, the arts, um, because it's, like I say, it's, it's generally the same everywhere, isn't it? And they're, they're, they're employing the same types of rules, the same 
favoritisms, you know, racial preference, uh, gender preference, increasingly trans. I mean, trans, I mean, I, I listened to your, a bit of your um, interview with Joe Williams. And, and as she said, I mean, trans just came out of nowhere almost. I mean, it was, it was as I was writing my book and completing my book, it started to get quite big. Um, a, a friend in the Labour Party, she, you know, warned me, hang on, you know, you better watch this. And, and I kind of went, well, I nearly finished my book. I mean, I can't, like, rewrite it. Mm. But it's exploded. It's remarkable. If trans yeah. was a stock, I wish I had bought some of it Believe early. Completely. Um, it's, it's, and it's, this is what we're seeing here. I mean, like, like Joe said in your interview, was it, it, it's not a, an example of theoretical superiority strength. But I would say it's a real example. I mean, obviously, it's an example of power, of political power. And, I mean, for example, here we've, you know, we've, we've had conservative-led governments for 12 years now. America have had Trump, you know, the, 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 the hate figure of the, of the left. But even during that time, this stuff has been increasing, ramping up you know, in terms of presence in the, in the public sphere. So, so what we're looking at is, a, is, a, is power which is not coming through the political parties. You know, it doesn't need to come through them to, to take charge. Well, I would really like to step through this idea of the system of diversity as, as it appears in your book, because this is where I really want our audience to understand, because I, I think it gives people another way of looking at the issues that we're seeing across uh, these, these places that we've talked about. You explained that there are administrators, community leaders, and the communities they re represent. Can, can, you, can you explain these roles for us? Oh, God, yeah. Um, yeah, administrators, it's a bit of a... Um, you know, I was I was struggling with using that that word. It's, it's a bit clunky, isn't it? It's perfect. I lo I think it's absolutely perfect, and it, it totally. I think don't. Yes, yeah, it's amazing. I love it. Yeah. So um, you know, you, you're basically you're taking an overseeing role as an administrator, and you're effectively, you know, overseeing the whole of society, or you see yourself as administrating, you know, for the whole of society. We see these people all the time. They they don't act as if they're just in charge of their group or their institution. They're looking to oversee the whole of society and what everyone thinks. That's just their basic assumption. You know, they, so they expand out their group like values onto the whole of the world, you know, so you know, social justice, you could say. So as I see it, they're like an overseeing group, like I say, looking at the whole of society. And they... A phrase I used was outsource authority to, if you like, the group representatives who are the community leaders, the feminists, you could say the trans activists now, Islamists are another one. So, so the way that works, outsourcing authority, is basically you reflexively just give them favour. You know, you give them the benefit of the doubt, you protect them when necessary. Um, and sometimes, of course, these people, I mean, a lot of the time actually, Partly because of they're just given so much leeway, they need protecting because they can be pretty nasty. And you know, I mean, obviously with the with is Islamists, I'm thinking especially. I mean, the way that they get protected by a lot of the left is is pretty pretty dodgy and dangerous. Um, so so then so that you have that relationship between those two, uh, the administrators or the overseers outsourcing authority to the representatives. And then the representatives are meant to be 
um, obviously representing their groups. So Islamists will represent Muslims, um, feminists, women, trans activists. I mean, how, how do you say that? You could say trans, but they're, you know, they're busting to try and represent all women and all men, I guess. Um, they, seem, they seem fit for the job. Yeah, they and, seem like a pretty organised group. And, and what, but what this is doing, I think this is something I maybe didn't emphasise enough in the book, is that these relationships where the representatives are meant to represent their groups and they're, they're given power effectively by the overseers who basically run society, you could say. You know, they run the big institutions, the media companies, most of the political parties, all the rest of it. So they're outsourcing power to them. And... This gives them quite a lot of power, which means that they have the resources to, to share with the groups they're meant to represent. And this means if you're just a lowly, say, a lowly, you know, a black person who's struggling, you know, you know str struggling for work, um, maybe if you, you know, you probably have had a bit of discrimination here and there, it means that they have something to give you, you know, at least you could say, respect and something to cling on to, something to belong to. So what's happening with, and, and forgive me for rambling, um, but what's happening is, is that both ends of, this, of these relationships, the overseers and then the, the normal members of favoured groups, are both effectively outsourcing power. I mean, you could say with, you know, say black people, Muslims, women, their role is to... So you could say vote for the liberal left parties or vote for the ones, the, the people that the, their representatives tell them to. So this is, this is funneling a lot of political power to these representatives. And, and I think when we, we talked about power a bit earlier, this is, this is the real source of why, why the, these types of politics have got so strong, I think, of these relationships, especially and, and at the... The fount of it is that that one of overseers, administrators, like you say, giving power to favoured group representatives. Is is that does that make sense? Absolutely. Well, I, I got from your book that 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 the battle being fought currently is is as old as time. It, it's not about material societal benefit. Uh, it, it's more about consolidating social and political power through institutions. Uh, am I on the right track here? Yes, um, of course it, I mean, these relationships, they, they don't just happen through the institutions, they're informal as well. I think we all feel them. I mean, I certainly feel them, you know, and as, as I think we, we covered at the beginning, there's a kind of a basic decency of, oh yeah, you know, we should, we should have a woman on this panel, we should have a black person on this panel. You know, it's a, it's a reflexive um, custom, a habit that we all have, and, and maybe the most in, interesting thing about this is this has been generalized into a into a set of rules and even laws you know I, I see you've you've interviewed someone about hate crime you know which is a, a classic example of this this these sorts of relationships being being made into law where say if you're a if you're a black person complaining about racism you know that's automatically recorded as a as a hate incident you know, whether it happened or not. Um, or even if you're a white person complaining about a black person being racially, racially abused and the black person doesn't care, that, that still gets recorded. Perhaps you've got a concrete 
example of the system of diversity, like like maybe from an institution, I don't know, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, the, the BBC or Stonewall or, or you know, it could even be a big smaller sort of organisation. Do, do you have one that you could step us through? Uh, God, I've got so many. I've got like hundreds. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite difficult to, um, I mean, literally I've got documents that are like 80 pages long, like full mm. of this stuff, and many of them. Um, but I think, yeah, with the BBC, um, I, I found it quite interesting that they, and this is just a, a relatively minor example, they appointed a new director general maybe six months ago um, who has a background. Is this Tim Davies? That Tim Davies, yeah. And he has a, a background. I don't, I don't know much about him, but he has a background sort of around the Conservative Party. So it's a, you know, it's a political appointment, effectively. And he... He was. Um, he appeared um, doing an interview for BBC staff, where he was quizzed about um, you know what he was going to do and staff staff questions to him. The person picked to do that interview was the BBC's head of diversity and inclusion, or something, who was paid I think an extraordinary amount, something like. 250 and this is off the top of my head 250,000 pounds a year to do a three-day week called, called June Sarpong and it was it was an example I think of the how the BBC works to, to represent the staff what the staff was the staff interest they picked someone who was if you like an, an, an administrator of diversity you know as, as I call it and um, so he you know the, the her new boss in the interview was answerable to her and I, I just I just found that relationship fascinating I mean I, I think she's since stepped down because her you know her, her political commitments are so obvious and um, you know you could say the role was was so ridiculous I got this sense that there was this this corrupting influence in the system uh, in that these representatives are given discretionary power to give resources or favor to people they see fit which is, as you say in your book, people who probably agree with them uh, or people who can help them. Now, this seems to be the mechanism behind some of the echo chambers we see in everything, councils, the national broadcasters, funding panels. Is maintaining this power contingent on, in part, marginalising dissident voices within the group? So, for example, is it your job as the as one of these these uh, power brokers to uh, shut down a, a, like a gender critical feminist if they if they break ranks or if they, or if uh, uh, someone like a, a, a former Muslim for example you you would have to say well I've got to, I part of my job is to marginalise that person and to reward the people that are completely aligned with um, the the orthodoxy definitely I mean that's a crucial essential part of it and um, I mean in the new book which is it's not just about identity politics. Uh, I've, I've got one chapter which is called Eliminating Opponents, um, which is a crucial, I, I say it's a sort of crucial technique or you know, set of techniques that you need to maintain power. And the biggest opponents are those from the favoured groups who don't fit into the system. You know, for the system to work, you need those relationships of administrators to representatives to the favoured groups operating seamlessly and not having any conflict, not having any any opposition. And, and I mean, this is 
one reason why you I, I think you see relatively little conflict between say Islamists and LGBT plus activists and feminists because they're, they're both part of the same political system they both depend on it they both depend on these relationships even if philosophically ideologically for themselves they're completely opposed politically in these relationships they're they're allied it's such a spectacular alliance of of completely opposing uh uh goals when you talk if you're a hardline islamist and you're someone you know you know i mean it's i think it's summed up in one of these terrible memes you see on twitter i think i saw a bunch of lgbt activists i couldn't tell whether they were is uh, islamic or not but they had uh rainbow colored burqas on <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that was everything. I was like, there it is. Yeah, one image. That's, that's beautiful. It sums it up. And you, you constantly see these efforts to create, you know, a big, harmonious, happy family. And, you know, they, those, like you point out, they, they get a lot of traction from, if you like, the, the overseer, administrator types. But... You know, from the groups themselves, they're like, you know, what the hell is this? And from the rest of us, even more so. But yeah, I mean, going back to your question, I mean, eliminating opponents, uh, you know, so ex-Muslims, um, like, for example, here, I think you, you probably talked about him before, but there was a guy called Tony Sewell, who, who produced a report on race disparities for the government. And he's, you know, a black guy, black academic, and he's being terribly hounded. You, you get these people, they, they constantly get called racial gatekeepers or um, Uncle Toms. Mm, Calvin Robinson's another one. He's the, 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 wrong, he's the wrong one, you know? Yeah. They, they, that's, what, that's, what they, that's what they want to say. They want to say, oh, you're the wrong one. And he'd go, what do you mean, the wrong one? Like, well, just, you know, you know what I mean. Completely. And um, there, was, there was one, I think, yesterday or the day before of um, an academic called Shola. I forget her second name. It's... I think she's got a double barrel second name, but she's an academic, a race-focused academic. And she said about a candidate in the, the Tory Conservative leadership contest, Kemi Badenoch, who I think is very interesting, as she really understands a lot of this stuff. Um, and, and she said to, about Kemi Badenoch that she should crawl back into her mother's womb. And, you know, just the sort of the level of... I mean, that's effectively, I wish... You were dead, you know, or you should be dead for the sake of my, you know, social justice or whatever. Deeply, deeply unpleasant, and and I think it's a, it's an element of how yeah these pe these people who appear as traitors to them, are much worse for them and much more, much more dangerous for them. You know, it, I think it's obvious politically. You know, for example, if. Kemi Badenoch, a, a black conservative, becomes leader of the Conservative Party. It will be an absolute disaster. And if she's, you know, as long as she's okay, and I think she would be, it would be an absolute disaster for the whole left and for the whole of this industry. But they would find a way. They seem to find a they way do. to yeah. license. It, what, what I'm fascinated by, and it, 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 and it's, it goes into your system, that, that some, they have a level of protection from people above above them on the on in the strata that that allows them to get away with a level of racism, misogyny, and despicable 
attacks of all kinds that that is is exceptional in a way because if you if if you did it uh with with a, a you know if it was if it was flipped and you did it the other way or something it, it would be total it would be uh the worst hate crime of the year but these people find a way to say these things and their tweets are still up there there's no blowback there's no there's no issues as far it, it, by my by my lights anyway oh definitely i mean it's it's obvious i mean the hypocrisy is there for us to see every day and you know when we were talking about the to and fro of politics and you know it's it's just every day you know but but like you say they and and this is this is a theme of um the upcoming new book is, I mean, I'm calling the first part a matter of technique. You know, it's, it's about having so many techniques to use, like language techniques. I talked about eliminating opponents. Uh, and it's, in, in a way, it's incredibly skillful, incredibly detailed political tactics, explanations. You know, it's... it's, it's Similar to Marxism, of course, you know, it's, it's the same sort of style as a lot of Marxism in that you have an ideology which explains everything in the world and everything that, that doesn't fit that ideology just doesn't exist effectively. And, and that certainty, that authority that you gain, that, that confidence um, together with, I mean, that's that's one aspect of having a theory. But obviously, you're not having a theory alone. You've got to share it with other other people for it to be genuinely powerful. And that's the stage that we've got now. Well, I've got we've got a name for it on the New Flash podcast. We call this sort of uh, work jitsu, and basically, because I, I, I thought about this before, just before the. Can you just repeat the, that? The, I just I, I, work jitsu. I love that. You know? <laughs> so the idea is that. And you can see woke jitsu at play all, all, at all times. It's it's just you know it's 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 the, the 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 rhetorical tricks that people use and the things you can say to get out of stuff. So, uh, but I thought about this because I'm fascinated by the techniques that I can't wait to read this book because I'm fascinated by the techniques that these people use because I feel like a couple of things that that would change the game. I think we talked about this with Joanna Williams. One thing they don't like is transparency. So. That's one thing. Maybe we can talk about that. They don't like transparency, the idea that like when they're filmed or when they, they have to uh, – it's it's clearly stated, for example, like, you know, BLM – Just I know it's a high-octane example, but I can think of them deleting the, 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 what they really believe about, about, the, about the family unit, for example, like because they don't, they don't like – they're like, oh, no, we can't have people knowing that. So – or the idea of filming um, council meetings or something or whatever. And then the second thing is – uh, just clarity and and stripping away the rhetorical devices. So truth, truth, truth reality. De- yeah, that's de- right. Describing things. Yes. You know, just describing something basic accurately. And and sorry to interrupt. I'll be brief. Um, but in the first book and in the second one too, hopefully, that's what I was looking to do is just describe it. You know, describe what they were doing. You know, and and try and piece it together. And, and like you like you say, they they really struggle with that. They can't. And I, I got um, actually a, a major British Labour politician was handed my book and read some of it, and um, and he called it a conspiracy theory, a sort of engaging conspiracy <laughs> theory, and that, which is precisely the opposite of what 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 I, I hope it is. You know, it's describing. Well, that, that's how another work jitsu move right there. 
Yeah, yeah completely. Right. It's a, you know, it's you've got to find something negative to throw at those who are threatening your position. But this was one of my questions, though, because because I I wanted to know specifically uh, about people within the system and you just answered it i wanted to know was there any feedback from anyone who is clearly part of it like that labor politician if i read this book i would have if i was a white this guy's probably white i, I would imagine no, a, a white black. oh really yeah, okay well that's yeah. surprising but either either way I, I i i would imagine that the type of person who's part of that of, the, of that establishment the left establishment would read this book and go oh, this is the real problem like they can handle you know, they can handle Daily Wire and stuff and, and what is a woman and all that. They can like, oh, well, that's, you know, that's just uh, cultural nonsense. But this is the type of frightening, incisive work that's sort of like, I, th- I would think, get get them pretty worried because they'd be like, oh, no, we've been found out. <laughs> what do you think of this idea of, of transparency being one of the techniques that or one of the things that, the, that these people uh, don't want? Oh, definitely. It's... It's, I mean, like I, like I said just now, it's describing what they're doing, you know, because they don't describe accurately. They, they present it in all sorts of, all sorts of high-flown ways, and they, they cover up any aspects that might be negative. And I think this is characteristic of progressive ideology and progressive politics. You know, since you're on the right side of history, it's kind of like you're on, you're on God's side. If, if you're on God's side, you can't be wrong, you know, fundamentally. You know, if you're going to be saved, if you're a force for good in the world, then what, whatever you're causing, whatever you're doing, which is having bad effects, can't ultimately be your fault. Um, but you, said, so it, but you some, said it, Ben, because if you're on the right side of history, it, your analogy is interesting because you say, the right side of history is 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 to be with God. These people are largely secular heathens, <laughs> so so I I want to know what the right side of history actually means for these people. You know what I mean? Like what it actually looks like. Like who, if it's not God, what are we uh, what are we looking at here? Def- definitely, I, I mean it's something that I've been thinking about and working on for months, if not years. You know, that's how kind of thoughts just state. But I think. You being on the right side of history, it's it's most people don't understand it. Most people even who use it or who kind of rely on that form of authority, they they don't get it. It's a it's a tool, it's a it's an assertion of authority. I mean the the, the new book is, is gonna be called The Pro- Progress Factory. And that came from an idea of it being like the liberal left military industrial complex. You know, they're co- constantly churning out, as we say, sort of you know, ways to win and squeezing out competitors from the market, you know, very, very effectively. Uh, and, um, sorry, I've lost my, lost my train of thought. What were you asking? <laughs> transparency, that they hate Trans- transparency. Transparency, yeah, just, um, definitely that's the, that's the way to, to combat them. I mean, by, by basically describing accurately what they're doing and how they're fitting in and, and the genuine effects that they are having. I mean, as, as you're doing with your podcast, I mean, as I'm, as I'm trying to do with my books and my other writings. And I mean, thankfully, I mean, it, it, I don't know if you've read it at the end of my book, I, I sort of, I had a chapter on, you know, what do we need to do now? How do we combat this stuff? And 
a, you know, a crucial aspect was we need new institutions. And you, in your in your way, you've you formed a new institution. You know, your your podcast to address a lot of these things and to discuss them and try and understand them and laugh at them and you know somehow try and beat them as well. And uh, and I think that there has been quite a lot of you know, movement in that front. I mean, obviously we could do it with a lot lot more and the, the mainstream media is still the mainstream media and is dominant. But, I mean, I think of in Australia, Quillette is an example of, you know, an institution that was set up to, to discuss and to, to combat all this, if you like, woke stuff. And I'm not a big fan of the phrase woke. But it's a great shorthand, isn't it? But, you know, you could say progressive identity politics. All the other stuff's too long. Plus, too long. Plus the, yeah. Exactly. Even three three words is far too long. It's like Brexit here. Even when Brexit came out, it started being used. I was like, "What a crappy awful <laughs> word!" You can't. And now it's kind of now it's universal. I just you know I just keep on losing on these kind of these word things. But um, yeah, going back going back to transparency, I don't, you know it's that's the basis of it, and that's why they're generally against free speech. Um, just briefly, I've, I've, I've recently been going through a, a book by a guy called James O'Brien, who you might be aware of, who's a, a kind of a progressive left-wing shock, shock jock here. And, um, and he's, he's written two books. The first is called How to Be Right, and the second is How Not to Be Wrong. You know, so didactic, authoritative, you know, uh, absolutist sort of stuff. And he's, he's claiming to be a liberal. And in this second book that I've been reading, he, he discusses how he used to be a free speecher and how he's changed his mind because free speech may, means that these terrible people, you know, are, are sometimes, you know, getting to speak in public and, you know, sometimes they get into power or sometimes they get to vote. You know, it's, it's, wow. it's, it's just it's just Chilling. Terrible. It's chilling and frightening. This is a common strain uh, among... Uh, a certain kind of progressive person is that there's a podcaster, American podcaster that that uh, is quite big, and uh, some of our guests have been on his show. And I've watched this guy's pod, and he has this that same kind of chilling attitude, this sort of this authoritarian sneering at 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 what uh, he says stuff like people are idiots, they don't get it, people don't vote the right way, like this. There's this idea that um, I mean, I kind of agree with that anyway, <laughs> but it's like, but we all are. Yeah, and but they're they're trying they're they're saying they're all idiots. Yes, it's not weird. But who gets to decide though? They 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 never follow it through. I go, yeah, 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 I agree with you. But who does who is making the decision? They go, oh well, I am, of course. Like this guy James O'Brien, he'd be like, well, I'm making the decision, of course. Yeah, no, that's that's it. And um, and like I say, if if you can just describe it, and we and we do that in fragments, don't we, day to day. Um, and, you know, in trying to write books about it, it, I've been trying to, like, sum it up, you know, try and put it together. Um, and I think the book did that quite well. I think it's, it's, it stood up quite well. Um, but hopefully the second one will be better, you know. Well, just, um, I wanted to ask you about rewards. Uh, are the rewards great enough to keep the system dominant in the long term? Because I know that the, the rewards are big for people that are at the top, but what about everyone down below? Like, what wh- what are they getting out of it? You know, you mean sort of like if you like group members, so thinking Muslims, the communities that these people, people are, right. are meant, yeah, meant to be serving, not non-white non-white people, that type of thing. I I don't know. I mean, 
I'm kind of wary about making predictions. And this is something which is, you know, a characteristic of progressives is to make predictions which align with their wishes. And then you kind of, I, I say, you, you put yourself ahead of everyone else, you know, in the future. You yeah. manage and then when Donald future. Trump gets voted in, they, they all just say it's because everyone's stupid. Yeah, it's Russia. No, completely. Um, but it's but it, but it's inevitable that he will it will go wrong for him because history will eventually get back onto its rightful course, and that gives them a lot of confidence. But to your question, and I said, making predictions, I'm I'm not a big fan of it, although I recognise you have to do it. Um, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it it basically it partly depends on us, you know, partly depends on us if we can explain things accurately and calmly and I you know we talked a bit about Kemi Badenoch who I think does this you know she's obviously a black politician very intelligent and and I think you know she she offers an alternative um I'm reluctant to say role model it's a bit patronizing sometimes isn't it to say like role model um but in the way yeah she she offers an example of a different way of succeeding in a in a western multicultural society other than depending on being a victim and then that, that's actually something i missed out from when we discussed you know the system earlier is is it depends on the group members being victims you know that's their role and that's for their representatives that's the message they pump out all the time so actually is a it's a self-defeating system in a sense if the people you represent are meant to be are meant to lose, and if they don't lose, you know you're effectively not doing your job right. Well, I've got this this great quote from the book here. I think sums it up. It's, you say, furthermore, these relationships between the administration of diversity, the favoured group representatives, and those they represent depend on the existence of victimhood and oppression. Otherwise, the administration of diversity would have no reason to maintain them. This means there is an alignment between the interests of the group or community leaders and the existence of oppression suffered by the group members. Indeed, the whole system of representation, which supposedly exists to fight oppression and victimhood, is tied to the existence of the oppression and victimhood. Catch-22 stuff. This stuff is hilarious <laughs> and no one's making yeah. fun of it. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's the thing. is It is actually really funny. And, and you know, I wish... I mean, the fact that comedy has been taken hold by this stuff, it means that they're po-faced and, and just livid and angry and comedy consists of just ranting about how awful their, you know, Boris Johnson and Trump are. The ridiculousness of it is, is, is really funny and really basic. But in, a, but in a weird way, Ben, these people have become David Brent. They, they are the ones who say, oh, do that thing. I, you know, I can't do it. You do it. You know, when he says that in the office and the guy says, Completely. I don't know, like, like that's, yeah. th and then he goes, oh, racist and walks off. That's who these people have become. Absolutely. That's it. And, um, and again, you know, comedy, drama, you, you know, in drama, you, you won't be able to, to cover that, you know, in a, in a, in a mainstream drama production in the theatre or or on television or on film, you know, unless you're very lucky. I mean, if, if you forgive me for rambling a bit more, um, talking about institutions, though, and, and the way there is some hope of, uh, you know, that there have been quite a few institutions, I, I do have some hope. And, you know, what Ricky said about looking into the future, uh, the way that people are starting to get mobilised politically now, 
you know, to, to actually fight this stuff. To an extent, we're, we're still early days. I mean, these things take years. But I'm, I'm more hopeful than I, than I was when I wrote the book, for example, which was, it came out in 2018. Oh, geez. Not even, you hadn't even seen 2020 before that. Like that's, mm. that you, you, would have, yeah. you would have done the book and then 2020 would have happened. You would have gone, oh my God, this is the end. 2020? Yeah. That was, that. <laughs> what was 2020? That wasn't a big year for you? Was it, I felt like it was a fairly momentous year. What was that, COVID? It was a dreadful it was year. It was, it was COVID. It was the Portland riots and where, you know, America was tearing itself apart. Statues were coming down. Like it was just like, the, to me, the apex of chaos was that year. Was, was George Floyd 2020? Yes. I think it, I think it was. Wasn't it was it? true. Yeah. It was Biden and Trump. It was George Floyd. It was, it was COVID. It was the gang was all there. You know, in this game, and especially you know what I do, is 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 actually looking to look over the whole lot, which is quite a big task, and and it means you've got to be selective because there's so much of it going on at any one time. I mean, you could write a book about one day, in the life of say progressive identity politics. You know, the system of diversity. You know, easily, I think. Um, and it means that we've got to be selective some sort of way. I mean, I, I, I spoke about having massive documents of 80 pages long, full of material of this stuff. But to live as well, you know, if you want to be happy, if you want to be, like, well, just not unhappy, you can't be living with this stuff all day. You've got to switch off. I mean, I, and I, I found in... In the lockdown of COVID, that's that's what I kind of learned to do quite well was switch off and just kind of, in a way, kind of just submit to life being a bit shit for a while and not being able to do anything and not having such high expectations. But like I say, it's the same with all this, all the cultural wars, craziness that goes on. You, you've got to you've got to switch off it to be happy and sort of close yourself off from it. And I I find in the you know, as a contrast to the, the hope that I have, that I see a lot of people who are still, you know, they, they see how much is going on and they get more and more angry about it and, and see it as more and more universal. And don't get me wrong, this stuff is really powerful. But we've got to, we've got, we've got to have some hope and we've got to live our lives as well, haven't we? And, you know, and, and if possible, part of that creates, along with new institutions, it's new relationships, of course. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but... My, my friendship groups have changed hugely over the past yes. sort of 10 years. You know, it's, it's remarkable and it's, um, in a way, it's, it's a great thing. For, for us in Australia, particularly COVID, uh, really uh, made, made friends and enemies of sort of all sorts of people, you know. <laughs> there are people that, 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 that I'll never speak to again because of COVID. And, and but, you know, yeah. I've... I've, I've gained friends from it too so so which which side were you on so uh both john and i were in melbourne for the majority of uh of the COVID lockdown so melbourne i think has the record as being the most lockdown city in the world so um it was, it was pretty tough yeah curfews God, it's, it's amazing how how australia you know the represent you know the 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 stereotype of this this great freebooting sort of no-nonsense country, you know, we won't be controlled, just going so... And I heard about this, you know, Australia just going so heavily onto it. Mm. I mean, it's pretty nuts, isn't it? What's, ha what's happened in your country? What's, what's going on? I, I think we're still trying to process it and, 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 and sort of work out uh, what's, what's really going on because it's, 
it's created this such a huge divide so quickly between you know people people on one side that are for all all the restrictions and following all the directions and and anyone that's not in that camp is seen as as absolute scum and i i, I just i don't know how that's happened you know there must have been something laying dormant in our society where you know we just had this impulse to pick a side and, and go to war or something I'm, I, I'm not sure it's um yeah I think it's going to take a few years I guess it's the mob it's the mob sort of factor isn't it that we that lies in all of us and you know yeah. sort of I you know I wrote, wrote my book is called the first book is called the tribe you know so it's how we are intrinsically tribal people and you can't get away from it but it's amazing how that mobilization happened over you know restrictions curfews wearing masks that type of thing i mean obviously we had a fair amount of that here but i, I don't think it went completely crazy i think we we did manage to keep it in a bit of perspective and and certainly what i did i just you know like i say i kind of largely just switched off didn't really engage with it much just did vaguely what i was meant to do broke the broke the law a little bit here and there um and um try to write it out you know well I, I, you touched on it this slightly before about switching off. Now, I, I think you'll appreciate this. Well, I'll get your perspective because I, I don't think people in this space who are doing sort of what we're doing talk about this enough. The, uh, the incredible, what gets me so angry about all this stuff and at the people who, who are the purveyors of this stuff is that they've wasted so much human resources their own mine they've wasted so much of my time like i i i could have written or or, or read like crime and punishment uh, but instead i've got in order to, i'm not allowed to do that because they've they've cancelled dostoevsky for being um you know white white man or something whatever whatever his problem russian well yeah well now it's russian but it, before it was because he was white yeah and so like that so i just wonder if you think about uh because it's something we have to, whatever this movement is, we've got to have a chat amongst ourselves about when the war is won and how much time we're willing to waste uh, and what's useful and what's not. Did you ever think about this sort of stuff? Well, what you're talking about there is political tactics, isn't it? Um, basically, how to engage with your opponents. Um, now, yeah, definitely, I think about that like all the time. Um and I, you know, there's, there's, I'm not, I'm not a sort of a political strategist, uh, and even that, I mean, they get it wrong all the time. So I'm just kind of going day to day, <laughs> for for what, just trying to survive and and not go mad, you know, uh, stay sane and and keep a, a level of perspective. And like you said, with with laughing at it. You know, we got we got to laugh at it rather than you know be driven mad. And, well, I, well mean, I think Ben, I, sorry, to, sorry to uh, to cut in here, Ben, but I think what what you do that's great is to have that that bigger picture perspective, so you don't get bogged down in in just the little spats and and memes and 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 you know just stuff that that goes around social media. Because I think what John was was getting at was that you know it's about where you where you put your attention, where do you, where you put your time, and and I think you can get into these rabbit holes where. You just, you know, you just living uh, on hate, basically living on hate, <laughs> or, or 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 basically, you know, just just scrolling through libs of TikTok all the time, you know. Yeah, I, I yeah, I don't think you know you can do that, and it's some of that's quite fun, isn't it? It's quite, <laughs> it's quite funny and entertaining, and um, 
know you say about memes as well the same same type of thing and i mean i can i can definitely forgive people i mean more than forgive people and you know sort of accept it people doing that because especially since it's new it's relatively new to a lot of people i mean in a way you could say unlucky or i might say unlucky because i came to this stuff relatively early you know like i say when i i joined the labor party in 2010 and I got involved in political activities almost immediately, so started to encounter, you know, the the early stages of this stuff going going you know viral, and and started writing about it. So, you know, you just get bored after like five or six years, <laughs> you know, which is a bit of a problem if you're writing books about it. And but I I, I like to think I've kind of you know found a way of manage, managing that and sort of staying sane. But yes, yeah, certainly, you know, I, I, there's nothing wrong with, you know, get in, in, getting involved and even I mean, we, we do get angry about, you know, how mad it does affect our lives. You know, if you're in the workplace and you're getting denounced by colleagues, say if you're an academic or something or in a school um, or in a in a big media company, say in the BBC or, or ABC or something, and, and you've got colleagues trying to hound you out of a job, that's pretty serious. And for the rest of us, when we see that happening, especially to people we like and respect, it does it makes us angry, and I think quite rightly. And um, but but in terms of the political tactics, like I say, just to stay stay sane and to be effective and to think properly, you yeah, like you say, you can't be going down those those rabbit holes all the time. And and that's it's something I say sometimes we we need a language, don't we? We need a language to immediately address this stuff and sum it up when it happens, accurately if possible. And that sounds quite easy, but it's quite difficult when, you know, this stuff is, you could say 10 years or whatever, but it's still relatively new. So people are still, you know, just the general culture is still coming to terms with dealing part with it. Part of their genius, though, Ben, part of their genius is their their chimera-like quality, is the, is the way they... It's that it's that malleability of language, the way that, uh, or the shape shifting that goes on. That that's the that's the the the, the no one gives the, the, this movement the, uh, that the progressive left the credit they deserve for creating something that is so uh, annoying. In that they refuse to they they put forward unfalsifiable uh, evidence. They whenever yep. you question them on things, they just go, "That's you know, that's that's not what I you know what that is, or that's not racism, or you know, they just change the meaning. That's not my lived that's experience. Not my lived, yeah, lived well, experience. that's it. They say that's not my lived experience, and all of these concepts are dreadful and racist and terrible. And and until we can, as you're trying to do, until we can. Uh, come up with a taxonomy of this stuff and agree on it and say, yep, okay, this is not on and we need to, we can't have it in the workplace or whatever, you know, like uh, uh, where we are just lost and having to put up with these these seizures that we keep having every few months. Mm. And it's political organisation. It's because, I mean, most of us, most of the time, we don't have time to be coming up with our own language or even reading books like mine. Most people don't have time to do it. They're too busy living their lives, commuting to and from work, working, being tired, going to the pub, being with their families, um, watching TV or whatever. So basically you need political organisation and organisations which are going to go, here's a template, 
send this. And I mean, there's one organization here in this country called Don't Divide Us, who I'm, I'm vaguely, you know, I signed a, a declaration they, they wrote. And they're actually all, they're, they're involved with, you know, the, the spiked and Academy of Ideas lot, who I know you, you've, like Joe Williams, you've interviewed a few of them. Um, and they've done a very good job at that. So, for example, if you're, um, if you're a parent and in school your, your kids are being taught um, that white people are racist, oppressive, and need to sort of apologise so every day for so the norm, What we call history now, normal history. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just basic, basic sort of truthful history. So they're being taught that in their school. And um, so it, 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 it provides a basic template you know, of a message that you will send to your school, um, asking them, you know, you said it before, to be transparent, you know, exactly what are they teaching to expose it. And so this is political intervention. I mean, schools have already been politicised massively, and it's it's fighting back the other way on behalf of actual parents. And, and I think that, that type of thing, and like I say, it's, I can't emphasise it enough, political organisation is, is crucial to to fight back and actually to, to do something about it. Well, I'm wary of the time, Ben. We've, we've kept you uh, for, uh, you know, uh, uh, a long time now, but I, I just wanted to give you the opportunity. Is there anything you'd like to tell us about this new book? Uh, I mean, we've already covered some of it and you've teased us appropriately, but this is your opportunity if there's anything we, 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 we don't know about uh, the Progress Factory. So basically, yeah, it's called the Progress Factory. Uh, I think the subtitle is The Modern Left and the False Authority of History. That's right. Which took a while. It took a while to come up with that title. I mean, for, for ages when I was when I developed it, it was called the Progressive Trick, which um, which the publisher didn't like at all. And you know they're more intelligent and, and good at that type of stuff than I am. So so I went with them. Um, but yeah, no, the Progressive Trick, if, if you like, kind of I, I think describes more accurately. It's it's a way of generating authority, basically progressive ideology as a way of generating political power via authority, which is via apparent knowledge. So progressive ideology is the knowledge of history, you know, of where history is going. It's, it's steadily getting better, you know, obviously it's going down at, at parts as any right-wing get, government gets in, or Brexit, you know, Trump is an obvious one, so then it goes down, but eventually it will right itself. So it's a sort of a destiny story. So basically progressives in that sense they know it's a sociological theory um sociological knowledge they they know what's going on and that's that's very powerful you know and, and you were just you were just talking about it there john i think um with they always have an answer and this is based in this sociology you know e even a lot of it is bogus like you say un unfalsifiable but they have that basic confidence that they that they know what's going on in the in the general in the in the big picture stuff, anyway. So they can that means they they can shape shift to adjust actual reality to fit what's going on. So so yeah, the book is kind of starts with that, but it's exploring it like the tribe did, not just in terms of the theory, but it's in in terms of how the politics works and how that generates authority and how you can. Just anyone can kind of join this sort of movement quite easily because it's um, it just appears to be so knowledgeable, authoritative. It's kind of you know it has has the status of a 
of, you know, people say religious cult, and it is like that, you know. Um, it's the authority of a god, and it means as we want in our, in our individualistic, consumerist, um, alienated, if you like, society, we really want that kind of, that basic, that comfort, don't we, of these are, these are some people who know, they understand, they can just tell me what to do, and I don't have to worry about it. Um, from another perspective, you know, like I just said about, like, don't divide us or other organisations, they, they provide a similar sort of purpose when you're busy of just providing a sort of a basic level of authority we can go to. So, so the book, I mean, I'll just give you a, a hopefully quite brief um, summary of, of how it's structured. Um, after an introduction, like going into the history, the first part is, is called a matter of technique. So that's talking about, you know, the different techniques of progressives and i'm not just talking about left-wing progressives here I do, do you don't want to change that to that title to woke jitsu <laughs> i i love i love that phrase <laughs> I, I love it but it's yours i think you've trademarked it but if you okay. let me have it I might, I might use it somewhere so yeah we got matter of technique which is looking at you know sociology the language i, I look at how um you know that how pr you know public relations marketing advertising and progressive politics have become merged. You know, it's the promotional industries, the, the role of expertise. You know, now now the political ide ideologue or the representative is an expert in, in their groups. But the role of predictions, eliminating opponents. Uh, second part is on progressive sprawl. So that's how it's kind of, it's got into every corner of our society, including like, the workplace, the state, um, art, uh, and then the third part, the, the final part, is, is called the trap. So that's how, you know, this is the trap of the negatives of what happens as a result of, you know, our society going this way and a lot of people embracing um, these types of theories. So that's, you know, looking at revolutionary logic of, you know, basically overturning everything, you know, in society. If you're progressive, you see the past as inherently bad, even the present. We must move along to the future. We must... So, so you're constantly churning, denouncing reality as it is. Uh, you could say the present moment is, is kind of like an enemy. Uh, then looking at the activist as a narcissist, you know, you're probably familiar with um, uh, Christopher Lash. Mm. You know, so, so kind of link, linked to, you know, the activist, you find a lot of them, they, they talk about their mental health difficult, difficulties, for example, and and, and their sexual there is a, there is a, uh, proclivities as well seem to they usually come up <laughs> yeah, as well I mean, that, god that's <laughs> that's a whole different world I, I'm, I don't think i'm going to get into that in detail, right, so that's another but, book but yeah no, no, certainly um and then you know looking at how the comparison with christianity so i mean i'm, I'm not like anti-christian or anti-religion or anything but looking at how the the faults of or the problems of progressive ideology kind of mirror those of christianity you know through the years then obviously looking at the curse of identity politics. Finally, on, in that part is the backlash and kind of criticize. I'm going to be criticizing some of the backlash, you know, the, the kind of the tendency to just moan all the time, you know, social conservatives to just whinge and moan all the time about how awful everything is rather than actually mobilizing and doing anything about it or, or like you said before, like laughing at it. And then, and then hopefully some conclusions on... You know, well, there will be some conclusions on, on um, 
you know, base, at the moment, is, is progressivism worth saving? Which I'll, I'll be arguing basically no. <laughs> Spoilers. Spoiler alert. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind He was of a ghost bad. all along. <laughs> but, um, you know, also just, just looking for a bit of hope. You know, we've got to enjoy life, haven't we? And I think, you know, like you said, we've got to laugh at these people and try and find some reason to hope in a politics that will work and kind of leave us alone on stuff that we need to be left alone on. And like one of you said before, actually stop being distracted by all this bullshit, you know, this mm. sort of craziness. I mean, I, there's, there's really important stuff going on in the world that it would be nice if we could focus on that rather than all this. Well, I, I think I heard someone on uh, social media say that um, whenever the trapeze artist falls down, they send the clowns out, you know the circus so whenever there's something serious happening out come the clowns to distract you you know yeah yeah no i guess i'm trying to process that my my brain's um struggling to work a bit but um but yeah no it's certainly kind of a once you know i'm kind of struggling between at at this very present moment between how infuriating how awful it is a lot of this stuff and how I'm trying to write another book about it, which I'm trying to enjoy writing and make it an enjoyable thing to read about this stuff, you know, without being trivial. Um, Mm. And I think there's, when we go back to how do we address this stuff, I think that's, that's at the, you know, at the heart of it is, you know, how how do we live, how do we do politics at the same time without, without going mad, you know. Well, we're in the same fight, so don't 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 despair, Ben. And look, we've we've you know not that you know we've only just met, but we found each other. So I feel like this is a positive. I must admit, I've enjoyed talking to you guys, and I, I mean, I'd I'd love to hear more from you. Actually, I'd love to you know. Oh no! I'd love to interview you. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> That'll. Yeah. I mean, my, my my background is actually as, as a journalist. Uh, so and I, I I like conversations, you know. Well, uh, where you can get us started whenever you, whenever you like, but uh, we we do have one final uh, question that we ask all of our guests. Ben, what are you reading right now? So I've I've just finished trying to read, and I didn't read all of it. This is for for the book. Is this book by James O'Brien? I, th- I mentioned called How Not to Be Wrong which is just so bad. It's just, it's, just, it's just awful. New York Times bestseller, is it? It was a real struggle. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, was, it was really, you know, Penguin published it, um, got all the back cover endorsements from all the great and the good, all that type of stuff. But except for that, I'm reading a book. Let, let me just get it. Um, let's get the title. It's called 1421. The year China discovered the world. Oh yes, I've Have you heard about that. Really? I've read some of this. I think my brother had it, and, and, and I was staying with him, and I read some of it. I didn't finish it. Yeah, it's, really? it's fascinating though. I should. Yeah. I didn't finish That's it. Really interesting. So it's, <laughs> well. it's like it's like actually the Europeans didn't discover all this stuff. The Chinese did. Yes. But then they closed up their society because you know the the forbidden temple, whatever it's called in. In Beijing, had been destroyed in a in a um, a lightning strike, and they saw it as bad luck, and they had to stop everything they were doing. So they just they destroyed all the records of this big journey. And this guy Gavin Ming, he's um, 
has tried to recreate it. So, yeah, that's interesting. So I, I've just finished a, a book, a biography of Kennedy. Oh. And I, and I did read this partly with view to the next book, you know, because he's, you know, a scion, a, an example for progressives, you know, almost the, the start of progressive left politics. But so far, this is what I don't understand. They're so far from Kennedy, these people. Like, they, they it, might, you know what I mean? In some ways, yeah. I mean, definitely, he was, he was not a nutter. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> and actually, to be fair, you could say he, he actually wasn't. He didn't really get the civil rights movement at the beginning of it. You know, he was a, a coddled sort of, um, very wealthy son of a, a very liberal, conservative, successful tycoon politician father. Um, but who was in the Democratic Party at the time, and uh, but he he did get converted to the civil rights movement. But um, but yeah, reading a lot of this stuff, you can see he's, and it's it's going to be one of the little themes in the new book is, is American progressivism, you know, which does go back. It goes back to the Declaration of Independence, the the Constitution, all the rest of it. But you know that you get it very strongly from him and a lot of his speeches of how. This, des- this sense of destiny of America, mm. you know, which led America under his tutelage and following people into so much trouble. I mean, after the Second World War especially, they had a great sense of, of their destiny as the country that was going to save the world from tyranny. So, and that resulted in the Bay of Pigs in Cuba, the Vietnam War, um, all sorts of hubristic, um, crazy examples of trying to save the world and actually in the process not really helping you know what was going on um so yeah that, that was really interesting for the book uh, a little book on Karl popper which i haven't quite finished um, i'm a big fan of popper and i wrote about it in the previous book and i think that's probably more than enough reading to be going on about yeah that's it? a lot no but you've got a good mix there you've got because every all of our guests are invariably reading some horrible book due to their studies and then they've, they've you know you, you're mixing it up with some history and some other great stuff so that sounds that sounds wonderful i'll have to to check out that uh book on china well ben we we, we really appreciate uh, all the time you've been able to give us on the new flesh uh if if people want to follow you are you on social media can they can they hunt you down so yeah i'm on twitter um which is just my name which is at ben cobley so that's ben c-o-b-l-e-y I'm not on anything else. I, I left Facebook a few years ago because it was just the worst thing in the world, I think. Um, <laughs> Twitter's pretty bad, but though. Maybe, maybe, oh, Twitter's, Twitter's bad, but it, it, it has been a, a, an amazing thing to be able to discover new people, you know, and, and discover yeah, new people relationships. people say this, yeah. That, that's what's happened, basically. It's, and I've partly, I don't know if I would, I would be... You know, I'd, I'd written books or anything without it because it allowed me to get my stuff out. I mean, I, I was unknown. I hadn't got a backstory of anything. So that's, that's you know, so it's been a real boon. And, um, yeah, no, it's, it's still a lot of fun. If you, again, it partly, partly goes back to, you know, you've got to limit who you follow, haven't you, and be quite sensible and, and, and not follow too many mad people <laughs> and, and angry, angry people as well to... To enjoy it, but then obviously for our for our work, we've got to expose be exposed to a bit of that. So it's uh, mm. yeah. 
anyway well i do i just wanted to uh thank you for your book i really do think it's unique and i do encourage everyone to to read the tribe obviously the new book too but that's not that's not finished yet so i can't tell them to go and buy that but they should that's called the progress factory but the but the tribe is what you need to read because this is this stands unique it's 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 doing something that uh, a lot of the books in this space aren't doing it's taking that big view and and uh, as we've been talking about the whole time not getting 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 caught up in in the small stuff so so thank you thank you ben well, guys, thanks so much. It's been a, it's been a real pleasure talking to you, listening to you, and you know having a good chat. So, um, and best of luck with your podcast. I think it's really good. Oh, thank you. And we'll, we'll hopefully we'll see you uh, when the new book comes out. Last one. Look forward to it.